0: Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out KetoReset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at KetoReset.com. Three, two, one, live. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Keto Reset Facebook group, Facebook live Q&A show slash podcast. Let me hit record for the podcast just in case. And oh, I can't wait to uh, see some live chatting coming up, some real-time questions. But of course, we always have in the storage banks some great stuff from podcast listeners and readers, contributors to the Facebook group. So let's get into it, shall we? One person is asking about the Keto Reset Mastery course. Is this the coolest thing ever developed for helping you to go keto the right way and make it a lifelong lasting habit? Just kidding, that's not what they wrote. But they said, I'm wondering if it would be worth it for me. I know you have a lot of features packed into the course, but I already have the book and read it. I completed the initial 21-day reset as well as about a month of strict keto. The 21-day reset is essentially how I eat all the time now. In other words, not uh, diving into the uh, deep carb restriction of 50 grams a day or below to uh, facilitate uh, nutritional ketosis, but rather eating in that primal aligned pattern where during the 21-day reset we ask you to Ditch grains, sugars, and refined vegetable oils. So this person says, sorry, didn't get the name down. We're trying. Um, The first week was great. Then I became increasingly hungry. The first week of keto, Uh, irritable and did not sleep well and had to give it up. During this month, I kept my daily carbs between 20 and 40 grams a day. So they were uh, trying to get into the keto scene and hungry, irritable, didn't sleep well, not good news. Definitely time to reflect and recalibrate. It might be a little difficult as we write about in the book, those first few weeks of entering nutritional ketosis and altering your habit patterns and being more strict and diligent about lowering your carbs. But never do we say that you should be suffering through increasing hunger, irritability, and poor sleep habits. So something's wrong, time to backpedal, go back to uh, your beautiful momentum that you created with your uh, 21-day reset eating patterns. Uh, Continuing with the letter, I have a past history very similar to Mark's, overtraining too much cardio. I've always been very carb-dependent, and although I now keep my carbs under 100, 150 grams a day, I struggle not to eat every couple hours. Even after eating a keto meal, I'm still hungry a couple hours later. I'm still trying to figure out my issues and now wondering if I am leptin-resistant. My goal with the Keto Reset is to break my habit of frequent meals and to become metabolically flexible, but I was unable to complete it on my first try. If I'm going to try again, I'm wondering if the course might help. However... however. Although there's a lot of material, podcasts, and stuff, it seems like mostly repeating the book in audio and video form. I understand the book and its premise. I'm convinced of the benefits. Not really sure this extra information in the Mastery course is needed for me. So how do I answer those 17 questions that came along through the uh, very nicely written letter? And I appreciate your honesty and openness looking to see what's going to be the best thing for you. So what we try to do with the course is extend outside the pages of the book. And provide a much more comprehensive education, not only visually, where you can see meals being made or uh, demonstrations of effective workout techniques, whether it's running or strength training, all that stuff is much more easy to convey in video, uh, as well as just uh, me, the host, being more emphatic and adding those asides and things that will help you understand uh, what maybe started as written material in the book much better. So that's why I favor the course as an educational experience. It's just much more involved, much more comprehensive. It's a higher commitment level than reading a few pages of a book, getting out your highlighter, uh, it you know it all comes to life. Not only that, uh, the the mastery course framework, of course, is around the book, centered around the book. But we also have all kinds of videos from experts talking about uh, in, in much more detail their areas of expertise. So that's the value added, where we have Dr. Kate Shanahan uh, talking about the bad oils and, and deeper into the reasons why. Uh, We want to choose healthy foods. We have Katie Bowman talking about movement, Dr. Kelly Starrett, all kinds of uh, great content in there that gives you a much better understanding of those uh, complementary lifestyle factors that we discuss, not at great length in the book because the book's about uh, the Keto Reset Diet. So just kind of expanding your horizons and maybe some of those things can put you over the top because back to your questions, obviously something's going on here. One of the speculations is that those decades of chronic cardio and carb dependency are very difficult to unwind, maybe more difficult than the next person in the next cube over at your workplace who has been a lifelong sedentary person that wasn't cramming down tens of thousands of carbohydrate calories, more carbohydrate calories for years and years. So the more athletic you are, the more calories you burn, the more likely you are to dig yourself a deep hole of carbohydrate dependency uh, when we're talking about years and decades. So it might, have, it might be a longer journey for you to uh, maintain that momentum when you're eating in the primal pattern and apparently are feeling good with carb intake at 100 and 150 grams per day and not worry about another return to keto until you can pass the keto reset midterm exam, until you're feeling really great skipping meals, not reporting that it's difficult to wait a couple hours to eat. So your sentence, I struggle not to eat every couple hours, even after eating a keto meal, I'm hungry a couple hours later. Um, That's not bad news, and it's not right or wrong, and there's no judgment here. It's just an indication of where your metabolic function is, and you have more progress to uh, achieve, as you get toward metabolic flexibility, which is best represented by a seamless ability to skip meals and maintain stable energy levels. Also, there could be some background things going on, such as gut dysfunction, uh, functional medicine issues where you might be depleted or have some sort of uh, problem that's affecting your metabolism that's beyond the scope of a podcast but definitely worth checking out to make sure that you're healthy healthy in every other way and uh, assuming that you're feeling great on a carb level of 100 to 150 grams a day carry on at that level and make steady progress uh, you know, pushing the edges of your metabolic flexibility by doing things like fasted workouts and just trying to you know, build your skills, like building bigger muscles, uh, taking your time and being patient. But also finally, kind of tying back into your big question of whether the, whether the mastery course is worth it, maybe there's some complementary lifestyle factors that can be optimized here that will help you make more steady progress because your athletic background would predict you uh, having success in a transition over to keto just because of your health, your fitness, uh, your metabolic function is strong. You're able to burn calories while you're out there uh, exercising for hours or what have you. So I don't think you should be stuck in this rep for a very long time. But you didn't mention your sleeping habits. You didn't mention if there's still a little bit of chronic type patterns leaking into your exercise picture. And if you're a little bit compromised on sleep, if you're still a little bit chronic with your exercise patterns, really all bets are off when we're talking about dietary transformation. So again, in the videos of the course and talking to the experts, we will hit this point home even harder than we did in the book where the exercise portion was uh, only a a section of one chapter. So you got to get that exercise toned down. And especially if you want to uh, make progress on the Uh, the fasting side, the metabolic flexibility side, maybe take a month where you're going to uh, reduce your overall caloric exercise energy output and focus on diet, because sometimes it's very difficult to have those energy demands during workouts every single day, whatever you're getting up and doing, whether it's endurance, whether it's strength training, uh, your muscles are screaming for energy, your brain is always screaming for energy in the form of glucose only or ketones, right? Right. And so in that initial uh, adaptation phase, this is uh, strongly uh, promoted in the work of Finney and Volick in books like The Art and Science of Low Carbohydrate Performance. During the initial adaptation phase to keto, the one you quote-unquote failed at as you report in your uh, your letter, during those first few weeks, let's call it, uh, there's a competition between your muscles and your brain for the precious fuel source of ketones because you have... Uh, suddenly restricted dietary uh, carbohydrate intake so you're not getting enough glucose. So you're not getting enough glucose to your brain and you're not getting enough glucose to your muscles. Any ketones you make are being soaked up by either the brain or the muscles. And so you're going to either have... uh, Poor workouts, poor workout performance where people say they feel like they're lose, losing their top end and blaming it on keto uh, and also having those afternoon blues and those uh, declines in cognitive function uh, because your muscles are taking precious energy that your brain might want. So uh, what you want to do in the initial adaptation phase is tone down your energy demands uh, by your muscles and allow whatever ketones you produce to go directly to the brain. That's the most prominent energy demand organ in the body and the most important, yes, more important than your muscles, uh, as you probably know if you've ever bonked, right? So you want to get the brain whatever it needs so you don't have those backsliding incidents where um, you're getting the afternoon blues and you're reaching back for quick energy carbohydrates and strongly recommend it. Just tone down the exercise, especially in the first few weeks, And then as your muscles become more and more fat adapted, they won't have as strong a demand for glucose because they get better and better at burning fatty acids. Of course, we have plenty of fatty acids available for the muscles, but it takes a while to wean off of the glucose-dependent muscle and get into better fat burning. And then because the muscles are so good at burning fatty acids ketone production will be prioritized for its number one priority, and that's to fuel that minimum daily energy requirement of the brain of about 150 grams per day of either glucose or ketones. Uh, Is that enough on that topic? I know we've talked about it a lot. I don't want to skip over too fast, but um, let's see uh, what some of these questions rolling in are all about. Oh, people are saying hi. Isn't that nice? Welcome to the online community. Vicky says, I've been doing keto on and off for two years and primal for about a year. My eating is pretty bang on. That might be an Australian slang term. I'm not sure. My eating is pretty bang on. I'm working on the sleep, de-stressing, and the sprinting and lifting. I move a reasonable amount for someone with a desk job. Uh, I had success, losing weight at first, but I'm struggling to lose much more. I'm pretty sure that sleep and stress are a big part of that as I have more success when I can improve those, but I struggle to fit everything in with family life. We have a four-year-old And a two and a half hour per day commute, oh, Dios mio, that's that's a big one, man. Shopping for real food, cooking from scratch, any tips on how to be more efficient as I often feel like there isn't enough time in the day to lead an optimal primal lifestyle to help me get best success from keto. Thank you for your thoughts. Wow, what an important message to share with everyone. Thank you very much, Vicki. We have to look at that pie chart of available time in the day to live our lives. Uh, There's 168 hours in a week, 24 hours in a day, uh, 1440 minutes in a day. I just went to a retreat center called 1440 uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, really cool place. You can look it up online. Uh, But yeah, 1440 was branded everywhere to remind us how precious our days are. Uh, So that commute, wow, that one really bugs me. We got to figure something out there. Um, have your boss write into the Facebook group so we can slam him or her uh, with the important matters of the day that Vicky needs to telecommute at least one day a week because she's got a little kid and she's trying to be super healthy, which would make her one of the most productive people in the firm. And we got to get that commute handled. It's just uh, It's no way to live life. I'm going to really call that out as a massive uh, uh, allocation of time that could be used for other things. So is there any way you can change that commute? You like my wise guy response instead of just accepting it at face value? Let's work that out. I know it's the age of the internet and telecommunication, so hopefully you can have some impact there. Otherwise, we have to prioritize sleep no matter what. So uh, if you're crowding out your optimal sleeping hours and uh, stable bedtime, because that's a really important factor in good sleep hygiene, at the same every night, winding things down over the previous two hours with minimal artificial light and digital stimulation, quiet, calm, mellow evenings, taking a stroll around the block with your dog, uh, reading to your child, Things that are not highly stimulatory, like doing emails or watching digital entertainment. We want to save those for earlier in the evening. Of course, you deserve to relax and have fun and engage with uh, an entertaining show after you're finished with your core daily responsibilities, but let's save those last couple hours so you can really wind down and facilitate a good night's sleep. And then the ideal is to wake up refreshed and energized near sunrise every single morning, raring to go with good focus and morning habits that I like to talk about so much, especially my recent kick of uh, chest freezer cold therapy. So I do my cold plunge in the morning. I have my little routines, my uh, morning routine in bed, my flexibility, mobility drills, and those things set you up for a highly productive day where you're good at prioritizing. You're good at filtering out feedback, staying focused on your peak performance goals because you got a ton going on. And these things will set you up for success. Even if you devote more time to sleep, you might find yourself more productive during the busy day. And yeah, it's tough to, um, to you know, shop for that good food, prepare good meals. Uh, we have that course called Paleo Cooking Boot Camp that you can find on primalblueprint.com where Katie French has developed this intentional cooking strategy. And I'm not trying to. A uh, 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 pitch stuff and have you uh, uh, buy your way into success, but just understanding the concept in general. And you can look at the website and learn more, but um, taking a devoted period of time, let's say on the weekend, on Sunday afternoon, where you have that uh, window to go to the store, take your kid, get them involved in the lifestyle of healthy shopping and eating, and go prepare uh, a large amount of meals, numerous portions, things that you can use later throughout the week when times get really busy. You can just reheat these pre-prepared meals. One of my favorite ideas is to make those um, uh, egg and hamburger muffins where you fry up some hamburger meat and you pour the uh, scrambled egg mixture into muffin tins with uh, sauteed mixed vegetables, hamburger meat, and then the egg cooks out in about 20 minutes. And you have these ready-made muffins that you can microwave and take on the go for a delicious breakfast, kind of a frittata on the go. So all kinds of ways to optimize your uh, your, your food preparation, if you use that intentional method, that sounds like a really great idea, especially for a family where you can reach into the refrigerator and know that you always have something uh, in hand's reach and quick reheating or ready to go, good to go uh, as you get into the uh, the difficult parts of uh, the, the work week where you honestly don't have time and maybe don't have energy to go and prepare a super-duper gourmet meal. And Joe says, can you talk about keto fueling for endurance runners? And let me push the like button on that one because it's such a huge question. And it's so nice to see uh, the concepts of low-carb, fat-adapted becoming popular in the endurance community because this has been a sugar-burning food fest for the last, what, 30 or 40 years Going back to my early days in the sport when we were obligated to consume these synthetic energy bars and energy gels and powdered drinks and just slam our bodies with carbohydrates while we're performing because everyone knew that was the only way to go and you had to top off those glycogen tanks and uh, try not to bonk and that was the end-all consideration. And now we know there's an entirely different world, a different picture out there where Uh, becoming fat adapted can deliver these incredible performance benefits and you don't have to rely upon a constant ingestion of sugar at the very worst time to digest food, which is out there when you're trying to perform and the blood is in your extremities rather than in your digestive tract. So the first and foremost objective for an endurance runner is to become fat adapted through dietary transformation. So if you can get good at burning fat throughout the day sitting at your desk Walking around town, uh, engaging in that uh, baseline uh, movement every single day of all forms, walking more, taking the stairs, uh, running errands on your bicycle rather than driving a mile to the post office, all those kind of things adding up to becoming better at burning fat. In daily life and then minimizing insulin production so that your stored body fat is always accessible and available to burn as energy. And then when you launch into a workout, what happens is because you're so good at burning fat in daily life, your body will become better at burning fat as you get into a proper workout. Even as your heart rate elevates up toward the aerobic maximum, you'll train yourself to be a fat-burning beast and have a minimized need for calories. And this is a nice uh, step-by-step process that you can do uh, patiently and sensibly so that you're not suffering and bonking every other workout and needing to call for a ride home or punch in on your app and and get someone uh, from Lyft to come take you home. So we don't want to engage in that nonsense. We want it to be uh, smooth and steady progress. Uh, So, you know, fix the diet, get that stuff handled, get those sugars and grains out of the diet, even a hardcore endurance athlete who putting in a lot of hours of training, there's no justification to consume refined carbohydrates and especially as an endurance athlete where maybe you could get away with it and get a free hall pass here and there for your ice cream binges. You also have elevated nutritional requirements from the average sedentary person. So you might want to be the least likely person to be doing these sugar binges instead of what we see in life is the most likely people to be slamming the sugar. Are these proud endurance athletes walking around with their lower body fat numbers than normal general population and flaunting that ability uh, to themselves? I'm not saying you're bragging about it around town, but flaunting the ability to uh, hit the sugary treats by virtue of burning a lot of calories during their workouts. However, when you are uh, rehabituating to carbohydrates in and around workouts. This is compromising your progress to become fat adapted. So that's my long answer is first off the race course, off the training ground, uh, get good at burning fat. And then as you uh, progress toward this goal smoothly and steadily, uh, there's nice video from Nell Stevenson in the Primal Endurance Mastery course, where she talks about Uh, She went full on paleo in her life. She wrote the book Paleoista. She's doing paleo cooking classes and consulting and and helping clients out. And then she said that the only time that Sugar was still in her life was during her long bike rides because she's a very accomplished Ironman triathlete, has been out to Kona and uh, performing very well and and working very hard out there. So she was still carrying the gels around when she was doing her 50-mile bike rides. And so the very last thing, the very last level of progression in her full transformation over to Paleo was to get through those bike rides with fewer and fewer uh, carbohydrate calories. So let's say at the outset of the story, she was a hardcore paleo in her daily life and making these wonderful meals and then heading out for the 55-mile bike ride and taking three gels or whatever it was. And then over time, the next time out, she tried to get by with only two, tried to get by with only one, and then When that day comes, when you're a fat-burning beast, you can go do these long-duration aerobic workouts provided they're under maximum aerobic heart rate where you have minimal glucose stimulation anyway and get through those things with just a minimal amount of calories, maybe even sipping some some fat calories or some amino acids or things that you can put into your body uh, to burn right away. Now, I've heard recently some people talk about Uh, that there's no justification to consume fat calories during prolonged workouts because, of course, we have our body fat that's available to burn during those long workouts. Um, That was An interesting concept that caused me uh, a little bit of reflection because I enjoy that aspect of going out for a long duration workout and maybe uh, having a nice half of an avocado to inhale or taking some of the uh, nice new products that you see out there, uh, such as the packaged coconut butters or almond butters. And so there might be just that psychological benefit of consuming calories while you're out there. Uh, even though you theoretically don't need them because you can tap into body fat stores. But I certainly doesn't think it, don't think it would hurt to get rid of the sugary gels and try to transition over to uh, pack in some coconut butter on your long bike rides or runs. Um, shouldn't be too much trouble to digest, especially when you're talking about something that's natural, like almond butter, coconut butter, things like that. A uh, vastly superior idea to... the the sugary products. And then we also have uh, as a um, a discussion point here to throw in the new exogenous ketone supplements. And as I wrote in the the teaser for this show, uh, I've been testing these out in recent months and I'm uh, trying to be objective and reasonable and have a long sample sample period here, but I am uh, happy to report some excellent results. So what I do with these Drinks drink. Uh, I'm using Kegenix Prime, which also has uh, some supportive agents in there, like the electrolytes and minerals that you need when you're keto and you're doing a workout. So I get the sodium, potassium, magnesium, uh, as well as the actual uh, calories from the exogenous ketones. And I'm consuming these drinks in and around my high-intensity workouts. So kind of before, during, and especially after. These high intensity sessions, whether I'm sprinting or doing a speed golf uh, outing, uh, really pushing my body, maybe in the gym or doing my uh, home uh, workout routine, which is high intensity strength training, short duration workout. But during the times of these workouts, I am burning the cleanest burning fuel source known to mankind, vastly superior to the glucose, which by comparison is dirty burning. You can look up on YouTube the Campfire Analogy video, maybe Keto Reset. Brad Kearns' campfire video, campfire analogy, where when we're burning glucose, we're creating a lot of oxidative stress in the body. And when we're burning ketones, we're recruiting more mitochondria, we're diffusing that oxidative stress. So it's a nice, clean burning fuel source that you can use while you're performing at maximum capacity. Therefore, the stressful effects of the workouts are minimized because you have a readily available clean burning fuel source. It's pretty awesome when you think about it. This is why the ketogenic diet has been used to protect against seizures for over 100 years. It raises the oxygen threshold in the brain at which seizures occur in other words the patient is getting more oxygen and better blood circulation better neuron firing in the brain when they're in ketosis as opposed to when they're in normal metabolism where they're burning uh, a lot of carbohydrates uh, as we are in the standard american diet standard daily busy (laughs) high-tech stressful hectic life where we're in that fight-or-flight mode even a little bit constantly we're in a sugar-burning high-stress state and that is uh, more metabolically stressful, more free radicals floating around just from burning calories and from processing information during your busy day. So the ketones are wonderful, wonderful for targeted use for uh, disease protection in the example of seizures. And I also believe targeted use for athletic performance to minimize the stress effects of the workout and by definition, uh, speed recovery accordingly. And the thing that I've noticed that's really distinct is after my sprint workouts, the next morning I wake up and I have less foot and calf soreness. Uh, I've been doing these sprints for 12 years now going big time into sprinting after reading the Mark Sisson landmark, uh, Mark's Daily Apple post called The Case Against Cardio, having long talks on the phone afterward and agreeing finally that uh, this endurance training that I've been doing my whole life, or at least for the past 15 years, was not really improving my health. And so I wanted to transition over to a broader definition of fitness, introducing strength training, sprinting. So I really got into sprinting big time uh, back in 2006. And it's been a major part of my training regimen since then. And every single time I do a hard sprint workout, I wake up the next morning, I got that calf stiffness, my feet are stiff because I Beat, beat my feet up pretty good when I was competing as a pro triathlete and getting off the bike and running in these flimsy little shoes. So I have kind of weak, creaky ankles and uh, a lot of stiffness in the Achilles area, the lower calf, as well as long-term cases of plantar fasciitis that flare up very easily uh, after things like sprint workouts. So I have this baseline to compare for 12 years of how I feel after a sprint workout. And I have to say, uh, in recent times using these ketone supplements very aggressively consuming a lot of powder just to test it out and see what happens i wake up and i feel fine the next day i even have uh looking in my uh training journal uh my loose notes that i take uh about my exercise habits uh every day. I've been doing that for a long time not putting too much energy into it but at least writing something down i even have a couple occasions where i sprinted two days in a row whoopee smart guy not a great idea because then I have, uh, after those occasions, a lot of recovery time after where I'm just kind of low energy because that's kind of beyond my capabilities at the age of 53. Probably not a great idea for anybody. But even to be able to think about doing that and to have that lack of muscle soreness, I'm thinking that the ketone supplements are contributing factors. So back to Joe's question. You know I always get back to questions, right? Uh, maybe if you are... Uh, Doing the good work on the dietary side to become fat and keto adapted, uh, trying out these ketone supplements during your performance might be an interesting ticket. See if you can get some benefit from that. Uh, It's good, clean, burning fuel, better than sugar. So, hmm, how's that for an answer? Terry says, to check for healthy leptin function, what is the test we should look into getting it done? Is it simply leptin sensitivity? I do not know if there's a leptin test or not. I have never heard of one. And for those of you uh, jumping into this, let's set the context. Leptin is a critical uh, hormone that presides over uh, satiety, fat metabolism, and reproductive fitness. Dr. Ron Rosedale is a leading authority on these leptin concepts and you can search in the podcast stratosphere for some uh, great shows that i listen to over and over when working on the keto reset diet book to get this leptin concept down so leptin uh, uh, regulates your appetite it tells your body when you're full tells your brain to stop eating it sends this signal from the stomach to the brain to say hey you've had enough and then it determines whether you will Uh, burn or store uh, the fat that you consume. And the prominent overarching goal of leptin is to uh, get you uh, fit for reproduction. That's our most prominent evolutionary drive. Let's never forget that. So if you have low libido or things of that nature as a consequence of your diet or training program, you are messing with your very most prominent evolutionary drive, indicating that you are in poor health, period, full stop okay? So when leptin signaling is disrupted, what's going to happen is you're going to have a tendency to consume more calories than you actually need and have a tendency to store those calories as fat rather than burn them. And what leptin is doing in this case is, again, it's trying to make you fit for reproduction. So it doesn't like people to for example, lose a lot of body fat really quickly if you're a female because the females want to have a uh, optimal level of body fat to be fit for reproduction. And in the male's case, we want to uh, have that same optimized level of testosterone to be fit for reproduction. And when the leptin signaling gets disrupted, then all bets are off. And what happens to the males in uh, a very prominent example, very common example, is we start to develop a spare tire in our Advancing decades. This messes with optimal testosterone levels, and then it becomes a vicious cycle where we start to accumulate a little bit of a spare tire. This uh, type of uh, fat uh, secretes inflammatory cytokines into the bloodstream, so you get into an inflammatory state. Uh, messing with your sex hormones, and because you start to experience a decline in testosterone, growth hormone and those vitality hormones, you have a tendency to uh, make that spare tire bigger because your metabolic function is all screwed up. so disrupted lectin, leptin signaling is what we want to avoid, and the reason i 'm saying that strange, precise term is when we um, talk about uh, insulin, we say your insulin 's too high. We want insulin lower. It's black and white, but it's the leptin signaling. It's not the levels of leptin. That's why the uh, the, the the drug that they tried to make to alter leptin levels, thinking that was going to be the secret to curing obesity, uh, flat, fell flat on its face uh, years ago. I'm not sure how many years ago, but they were trying to uh, get a way to uh, change your leptin levels by drug means. So uh, regardless of the level being low or high, because both of those things can be a bad deal, it's the optimal signaling that we're looking for. Not sure about the test. except for uh, are you in body fat storage patterns, then your leptin signaling is screwed up because um, the body, uh, to a certain extent you know likes to pack away fat for the coming winter ahead. And so our genetics are uh, predispose us to be in a little bit more fat storing mode mode at certain times, and other times. Same with females and cycling. all these uh, factors that are uh, slight variables. But when we're in that prominent fat-storing mode where we have a giant beer belly at the age of 47, um, that's nothing that evolution was planning for and that's not optimal human function. So we have to take care of that thing, improve the leptin signaling first and foremost by lowering the wildly excessive insulin production that is present in the standard American diet that is caused by the standard American diet. So when you go after uh, the big picture items of getting uh, crappy food and eating dense foods, minimizing your overall uh, daily lifestyle stress patterns, especially exercise, especially sleep, because sleep is when all these hormones get back into balance and refresh and recirculate. Uh, That will help with your leptin signaling. So I'm going to say... Um, even if there was a test i wouldn't go and spend uh, hundreds of dollars to find out if your leptin signaling is good or bad because you can tell by um, your the balance of your appetite and how well you can uh, regulate energy uh, with or without regular meals how's that Nikki says would you agree that keto is not effective for everyone Oh, you put me on the spot here. You're asking me for a yes or no. Or actually, would you agree? What a leading question. Instead of what do I think, that's an open-ended question. Would you agree is a closed-ended question. I'm in trouble. I got to ask the cop for permission here. May I speak freely? Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm going to say I would not agree. <laughs> uh, keto can be effective for everyone. However, it has to be done right. And then once you do that effort as described in the Keto Reset Diet, where you have the 21-day metabolism reset, the fine-tuning period where you're fasting, skipping meals now and then, uh, honing your metabolic fitness for a six-week foray minimum into nutritional ketosis, that can deliver a health benefit to just about everyone. Remember what Rob Wolf said about ketosis. He said it was very likely the default human metabolic state throughout evolution. In other words, our ancestors probably more often than not did not have enough food. Okay. They did not have regular meals. They hardly ever ate massive amounts of carbohydrates comparable to what today's dietary patterns are. If people want to argue these points, which some people do, there's those anti paleo books where they're talking about research on our ancestors and uh, there's records of people that ate a whole bunch of fruit at the equator and lived on a high carbohydrate diet and did just fine. That's fantastic. We're talking about the general notion that. Um, human evolution was nothing like uh, civilized life where there were constant regular meals and massive overdoses of insulin into the bloodstream day after day, year after year, decade after decade. So for almost all of us alive on the planet today, we have some damage to unwind because we've been in civilized life and standard Western diet, speaking globally, uh, where we 've produced too much insulin over our lifetime, maybe packed on some excess body fat, and even if we haven 't, we have other types of metabolic dysfunction happening, even if we 're a lean mean six pack machine might have elevated triglycerides or things like that that you can 't see from the surface. so it might be considered a bucket list item for everyone to do a foray a proper foray into nutritional ketosis. Uh, the other side of that answer is we see so many people that are doing this in an ill-advised and ill-prepared manner whereby it can really mess them up. And it can be ineffective and perhaps exacerbate existing health problems. We hear a lot of time about people with thyroid dysfunction, adrenal burnout, uh, conditions of that nature, uh, war- warned against trying the ketogenic diet. And then we hear counter-response to that. L. Russ has been doing a great job saying uh, that keto can really work well for hypothyroid. Uh, the key is to nail all the peripheral factors where you're needing a healthy, balanced, lifestyle, you have your exercise and sleep and stress management habits uh, grooving along nicely, and then you set yourself up to benefit from things like a ketogenic diet. Uh, We also have that uh, ever more prominent issue of gut dysfunction, and that can be a sabotage to any kind of diet that you pursue if you're not digesting and assimilating your nutrients well. We also have genetic particulars, which we're hearing more about, where certain people with certain genes uh, don't do well uh, transitioning over to a diet that's higher in saturated fat. So if they're going to go keto, it needs to look a little differently than the norm uh, and maybe uh, overly weighted toward the monounsaturated fats like avocado, olive, Uh, coconut products with the medium chain triglycerides, the oily cold water fish, the high omega-3 fats, and maybe toning down the bacon and butter aspects of the ketogenic diet. So there is no one size fits all, but to make the blanket statement that um, some people won't benefit, I'd rather go on the other side and say uh, everyone will benefit uh, if they enter into the journey from a healthy starting point and whatever it takes to get healthy uh, that's the key here. And that's why we carefully considered what would be the first step to uh, head in that direction of keto. No, it's not cutting all the carbs out of your diet and starving for three weeks. It's doing the 21-day meta, the metabolism reset. Okay? Okay. Oh, Mary and Jerome Beauchamp. Hey, how's it going? All right, I love this little chat thing. I'm trying to get some questions here. And Joe, coming back with more, says... I can run two to three hours fasted and I've been fat adapted for a few years, paying Leo to keto over the last year. Would you do anything different fuel-wise as I'm jumping back into half marathons and possibly more fulls? My speed is almost back. So the different thing you do when you're in the competitive setting, uh, Zach Bitter talks about this really well, is that when you're in a race, remember that the goal is to get to the finish line and do it as fast as possible if you're a, a competitor, do it as comfortably as possible, whoever you are, right? So uh, the fuel sources that you need during the race need not adhere to some strict guideline that some guy on a Facebook live is telling you. So even in Zach's case, uh, you can look at his diary on Zachbitter.com when he set the uh, the national record for 100 miles, running, running 100 miles around a track in 11 hours and 45 minutes. Whew, that's like 7.30s or something all day long. Hundred miles on a track, incredible performance. But I was amused to see his uh, food journal during the event because it was an absolute random hodgepodge of all kinds of stuff, some nutritious, uh, high fat calories, and then a Mountain Dew thrown in there. And if I'm not mistaken, there was some fun and games like a one and a half Oreos. Maybe I made that up, but I was just reading this thing going, wow, this guy's just putting whatever it takes into the machine to get to the finish line. Also keep that psychological comfort going. I know the Western, State's 100 mile run athletes love to uh, go send their crew out for some in and out burger and fries when they get to mile 68 and return to civilization and feast on this indulgent meal that uh, helps them from a psychological aspect. Not sure that's really uh, an advisable strategy if you're trying to get to the finish line and and feel good without any digestive distress, but we do have that psychological component that's important too. Um, So, How's that sound? The change you make in the race is to go with some rocket fuel if you need to. Let's say a Coca-Cola at mile 20, a lot of triathletes and marathoners talk about getting that simple sugar and caffeine burst for, especially for a clean burning machine will deliver a, a prominent performance boost right when you need it, right when you're starting to fade a little bit. So I'd say like anything goes in that case. But again, the fewer calories you can get by with, the better because your digestive system is in no condition uh, to do well uh, assimilating and processing those calories, especially in the hot weather. So um, trying to mimic the competitive experience and training, see what your stomach can handle, see what works for you, that kind of thing. but good job in training. If you can run two to three hours fasted, you're going to set yourself up really nicely for success uh, doing a half marathon race, but you might need some sugar there because you're going at a faster pace than you do during your fasted runs. Hey, thanks for listening from Germany. Isn't that cool? Oh my gosh. I don't know why I get so excited when I see these messages and people connecting from all over the world, but think about it for a moment. We weren't able to do this uh, back in my own lifetime. Uh, Nothing of the sort. You'd have to what, write a letter and send it in the mail to, to communicate with someone in Germany or go on a crazy phone call that costs big money? Oh my gosh, and there's Canada weighing in. layla's at costco shopping for more stuff to do more photo shoots as she's completely reshooting our redesigned updated revised primal blueprint cookbook she's going hard down there in alabama i can't believe you've already recovered from your massive jet lag and all night uh flight delays and things uh from last week but nice seeing you back in the gym on instagram at strong and well fed on instagram Um, And we also got to plug Dr. Lindsay Taylor's The Useful Dish on Instagram. And of course, our audio video king, Brian McAndrew. uh, Look at his meals at Whole Dudes on Instagram, D-O-O-D-S. These guys are the Instagram promoters of the planet. Okay, Joanne says... Uh, As an epileptic, that's interesting, read the oxygen, as one of the tests a doctor did when I was a child was simply to make me breathe hard for a short time. And sure enough, that induced a seizure. Wow, that's gnarly. Um, I guess you hyperventilate when you breathe hard for a short time and pass out. wonder what the doctor's point there was. But yeah, Joanne, especially um, uh, take a look at the the work of uh, Dr. Wilder at the Mayo Clinic. And I think there's a A charitable foundation named after a kid is it called charlie google charlie something ketogenic diet um and it's for the uh the young uh seizure patients that don't respond well to drug therapies and there's a movement to get them into ketosis but yeah that's the ticket is when you're in ketosis you uh give more oxygen to your brain very interesting for an epileptic, but what about for all of us? Isn't that mind-blowing, especially as we aspire to uh, arrest the disturbingly high frequency increasing frequency of cognitive decline diseases in modern society no it's not just because we're living longer it's because we've been slamming sugar for years and decades and some of the research from the great leaders in the anti-sugar crusade uh gary taubes dr dr robert lustig are making increased connections between sugar consumption and cognitive decline The brain cells are especially sensitive and vulnerable to uh, the quality of the fuel source that they're burning and the oxidative stress that occurs when you're in those high-glucose burning patterns. So do your brain a solid and try to escape carbohydrate dependency and transition over to fat-adapted state. Okay. Shane says, hey, Brad, I'm a big fan of the books and podcasts. Wow. I appreciate that. I'm still working on dialing in my primal eating. Uh, Sleep and stress are good. I've been following primal endurance since January and I find that I'm able to easily complete a four-hour math ride in a fasted state of 14 to 16 hours despite not having dialed in my eating. So making great progress uh, on the athletic side uh, while making progress on the eating side. And remember uh, that wonderful benefit of uh, being uh, fit as an endurance athlete or even as a uh, high-performing strength intense athlete is that you can kind of accelerate your progress uh, with your transition away from carb dependency to becoming a fat-burning beast due to the energy demands of exercise. You're putting your cells under energy demand, and so you will get them better and better at burning fat more quickly than if you were just sitting around in your cube and eating uh, Primal or keto-aligned meals, so keep it going on both levels there. Especially when you're doing those long aerobic rides, you're just you're uh, let's say you're working at at least double your resting metabolic state, right? Maybe triple right? If my resting heart rate's in the 40s and I'm doing an aerobic uh, exercise in the 120s uh, up to 130 maximum for my age, yeah, so we're tripling our metabolic function uh, versus at rest. And by doing so, everything is upregulated such that if you burn a lot of fat during your workouts, you get good at burning fat around the clock. Isn't that awesome? Also awesome on the other side of that coin is if you're in a sugar burning workout pattern where you're doing CrossFit five days a week and the workouts are lasting quite a long time up to an hour where you're at an elevated heart rate uh, for most of that time and you're feeling that uh, sense of uh, depletion and fatigue after the workout and going home or stopping at Jamba Juice and getting the uh, medium smoothie and the breakfast scone and then heading home. uh, Now you're locking in that carbohydrate dependency state because you're so, uh, you're burning carbs at such an extreme rate during the workout that you're embedding that metabolic message throughout the day. That's a tough one. Okay, so back to Shane. He says, um, uh, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on what may explain this. In other words, what, what's explaining the good news that he can go four hours on the bike in a fasted state? Am I somewhat fat adapted or maybe it's just my genetics? I'm still focused on getting my eating dialed in as I still have excess body fat. I'd say you're making great progress. Um, we all have the genetics to be fat burning beasts, right? We all have the genetics to be able to pedal for four hours on a bike at math heart rates. We just have to get out there and train. So you're doing the hard work and I'm going to predict that as you keep doing that and training sensibly, not getting anywhere near that chronic, uh, category with your workouts because that will arrest your progress. Like the CrossFit example I just used of the person that goes too frequently to do what otherwise is a wonderful fitness movement, wonderful workout in most cases from highly trained coaches, love the whole thing about it, except for doing it too often. And some cases, personally, I feel like some of the workouts are a little too lengthy uh, because I go in there and I give it my all on the first set and then find out I have to do two more. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you see me over there in the corner? I was slamming that. I was slamming that weight, man. I'm not doing another set. Anyway... Uh, You know, brief and explosive is really important and uh, go hard and then go home before you overstimulate the stress hormones and have them circulating in the bloodstream too long, uh, delivering a fatiguing catabolic effect to the workout rather than the adaptive hormonal response, which is what we want. We want that brief fight or flight spike of testosterone and growth hormone when we're doing an intense workout and then we want to quickly come down, cool down and get back into, uh, uh, homeostasis, uh, with enjoying that, that burst, that adaptive hormonal burst that gives you the anti-aging and the fitness benefit without the chronic stimulation of those stress hormones that give you the exhaustion, fatigue, burnout, illness, injury, uh, benefit. Okay. So, um, How's that answer that we all have the genetics? It's all about getting fat adapted, keep going on the diet too. Oh, I finished my thought was it's going to be a lot easier for you to uh, uh, transition over and clean that diet up all the way because of the hard work you're doing uh, in endurance training. Joanne, Brad, I'm currently taking vitamin D on the advice of a doctor as several rounds of blood tests show that I'm low in vitamin D and possibly not absorbing it. I think I eat lots of vitamin D foods, but still low levels in my blood results. Any ideas of what might be going on here and how might how I might address it? Yes. Read the primal blueprint. Uh, there's law number, oh my gosh, isn't law number seven? I can't remember. Yeah, law number seven, get adequate sunlight. It is known, undisputed, that we get the vast majority of our vitamin D from sunlight, not from diet. Even an absolutely optimal primal aligned keto clean diet with tons of omega-3 oily cold water fish, which is the food that has the highest source of vitamin D, uh, is going to be a fraction of what you can get from sun exposure during the peak times of Uh, solar intensity during the daytime and during the year in your environment. So if you live uh, up high at the high latitudes, you have a narrow window of time during the summer months when your vitamin D absorption is optimal and you have many months out of the year where vitamin D production from sunlight is impossible. That's why we want to take supplements. It's a very, very important supplement. Your vitamin D levels are critically important to your health and the Uh, mainstream medical community as in many cases when we're comparing it to uh, progressive health circles ancestral health circles their thresholds are believed to be too low by many vitamin d experts there's a book called the vitamin d solution from dr michael holick Uh, was a great reference when we were preparing the primal blueprint message and uh, chris kresher talks about this to other people in the primal paleo health scene that uh that uh, that normal range on a blood test, I think it's 30 to 60 or something in the normal range. And the doctor says, if you're over 30, you're looking good. Um, but really uh, the uh, collective, uh, uh, Opinion of the vitamin D experts, the vitamin D specialists, like Dr. Holick, are wanting to see you up in the fifties and sixties. Dr. Maffetone, uh, I I, I proudly told him that my vitamin D level was fifty-five on a recent blood test, and he says I'd like to see you up at (laughs) seventy. So um, there's, it's a very complex, uh, it's a very complex issue. Uh, Chris Kresser talks about how there's other uh, cofactors that and genetics that affect your optimal vitamin D levels, and some people can get by and function nicely uh, at lower levels than other people. But generally speaking, most of us are in vitamin D deficiency because of our indoor dominant lifestyles, especially if we live at the high latitudes or especially if we live at a latitude that's incongruent with our ancestry. So if you're African-American African descent, and you live in Sweden or Canada, you are at especially high risk. And that's why the rate of reproduction to vitamin D are something like 84% higher in the African American community than in the, uh, the uh, general community. Um, so this vitamin D is a huge, huge deal. It's very easy to supplement. Um, Primal has a product that's uh, called Primal Sun. I think it's delivering 2,000 milligrams per capsule. Um, There's not a huge danger of overdosing or taking too much. So over the wintertime, I'll take for example, five or six capsules at once because vitamin D, vitamin D is easily absorbed and stored. And that'll kind of bump me through the winter, even though my blood levels are pretty good, as I mentioned. In the summertime, the objective is to regularly expose large skin surface areas of your body to sunlight during those times of peak solar intensity. Uh, The way you know that you're making vitamin D and that you've made sufficient vitamin D is your skin starts to tan. So the goal is to maintain a slight tan uh, during those uh, months of uh, uh, vitamin D production. Uh, When you burn, of course, that's too much. And that's also an indication that vitamin D production is shut down. So Dr. Holick offers the really conservative recommendation of uh, exposing yourself for half the time that it takes to sustain a sunburn. It's called uh, MED, Medium eryth dose of vitamin D. So it's pretty simple, but you got to get the big skin surface areas. And those of you afraid of skin cancer, rightfully so, um, cover up your face, cover up your hands, the stuff that you're exposed to all the time. This is a minor vitamin D production area because it's such a minor uh, total of all my skin surface. So the back, the chest, the legs, uh, those are the things that are going to give you the great vitamin D production, which with much less risk of chronic overexposure that leads to uh, the risk of the minor form of skin cancer, carcinoma, melanoma, the, uh, the real, uh, big concern uh, in skin cancer. Uh, One of the biggest risk factors for melanoma is low vitamin D levels and insufficient sun exposure, contrary to popular belief. And also, believe it or not, most cases of melanoma happen where the sun don't shine. So it's obviously not related to uh, getting out there and burning your nose too often at the beach. So don't be afraid of the sun. Uh, expose yourself sensibly. Realize that if you can't tan, if you lay out in the winter in New York City uh, for five hours, you're not going to get the slightest bit tan because the, uh, the rays hitting the earth are coming at an angle that's too oblique during those winter months to afford vitamin D production. You need strong, intense rays hitting the earth. And so on most of the uh, continental United States, we're talking about a vitamin D uh, production period of... Eight to nine months over the course of the year. Uh, Obviously, you know, South Texas, we're probably talking 10 months, and upper uh, Minnesota, we're talking about uh, maybe seven or eight months. And then we have that long period in the winter where it's impossible to tan, it's impossible to take vitamin D, to make vitamin D. So definitely consider supplementing. And then back to diet again, like uh, big doses of. Uh, oily cold water fish are maybe going to give you 1,000 international units of vitamin D, a glass of milk. The big vitamin D message is 100 international units of vitamin D, and a 20-minute sunbathing exposure where you're getting some good skin out in the bright sun is going to give you 10,000 international units of vitamin D. Milk, 100. Nice meal of sardines and leafy greens, around 1,000. 20 minutes of sun exposure, 10,000. You do the math. It's all about the sun. I'm sorry for going on so long on that topic, but it's never come up on the um, uh, on the podcast. And I'll wrap it up at the hour mark. So the rest of these uh, questions I will uh, uh, hit for later. Oh, quickly, Tom says, what about extra virgin cold-pressed rapeseed or sunflower oil to cook with? I know they have a good smoke point uh, and supposedly uh, this uh, processing method is a little less offensive than your general vegetable and seed oil, which we know has sustained oxidative damage during processing. Um, But when you have the avocado oils and the coconut oils that are uh, highly validated to be temperature stable, um, I I would just generally recommend those. I can't imagine that you love the taste of rapeseed oil that much or sunflower oil that you absolutely must cook with and it's possible. We can talk to experts further uh, that these might have more objections. Oh, the Beauchamps are a keto family. Can you believe that? Breaking the code and old patterns, because you guys used to be like veganed out, huh? So welcome and continue your quest for health. Love it, Mary. Thank you. Uh, Hey, Brad, did you narrate the Keto Reset Diet Book? Of course I did. (laughs) And I put a lot of jokes in there too. So if you like Audible audiobooks, go try the Keto Reset Diet. You'll get some surprises in there. And guess what? We just hit the hour zero, zero mark. Thank you for watching. Have fun. Talk to you soon. We'll do it more often. Whoop! Hi, listeners, it's Brad Kearns. I'm so excited to introduce you to our all new comprehensive online multimedia course called the 21 day primal reset. This is everything you need to go step-by-step into a lifestyle transformation and go primal, go all in, make the commitment. We are here with an amazing online course with over 60 videos taking you through step-by-step daily challenges in the areas of diet, exercise, and lifestyle. You also get to download an assortment of print and audio materials. We have an awesome app that helps you engage with the community while you're doing your 21-day reset daily inspirational emails keeping you focused, giving you tips and tricks. We have shopping lists, PDFs. Oh, it's a great collection of items all on the login portal as soon as you register instant and lifetime access, everything you need. What a great gift to give someone, family, friend, loved one that you want to share the gift of primal living with. And even if you're an expert long-term, what a great way to kind of tune up and get that reset going, build some momentum if your goals are reducing excess body fat, being healthy health, and staying with the Primal program for the rest of your life. That's what this journey is, is a kickstart to generate long-term, lasting lifestyle change. And when you enroll at primalblueprint.com, we have a wonderful selection of Add on product kits at an extreme discount to thank you for enrolling in the digital course. So you can throw in some wonderful Primal Kitchen products or Primal Blueprint supplements. Check it all out at PrimalBlueprint.com. Everyone deserves a reset. You deserve a reset. Make the commitment for 21 days and we'll be with you every step of the way to guide you.